Welcome to Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. I'm your host, Rich Savini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. Thanks for stopping by. We really, really appreciate it. We have a lot to talk about in this episode, but let me start off by saying our guest in the second segment will be former Jets wide receiver Quincy Anunwa, who is still close to the team doing media work for their in-house production team. Looking forward to getting his thoughts on the Jets' start and really what he's up to right now other than the media work. The game, we have to get right to the game. 24-9, Jets lose the opener at home to the Ravens. Tough loss for sure. Tough one. And let me just start off with this, and this might shock some people because I may actually take a positive viewpoint, and I know that will stun some, but the NFL Week 1 is like no other event in sports. For nine months, you have the buildup, getting ready for opening week, and there's only 17 of these games, so the games are, every one of them is vital. It's not like baseball. If you lose the baseball opener, big deal. You play the next day. Nothing quite like week one in the NFL, and that's why you just get some massive overreaction. Half the league is under a dark cloud right now, the Jets being one of those teams. It's either euphoria or misery. The Jets are in the misery category right now because of a poor performance against Baltimore. Trust me, don't get too crazy by it. There's a long season ahead. Now, if they go out against Cleveland on Sunday and play the same way and lose, then there's cause for concern, and then you have a right to scream. I think everyone needs to take a deep breath right now, and let's just break this down analytically, find out what the heck happened. And really, I think there's two ways to break it down from what happened on Sunday. Two separate storylines. One, what we saw on the field, and two, what we heard after the game. Let's start with on the field. Well, I think we know what we saw on the field. It was just a really sloppy performance by the offense. Now, the Jets, in my opinion, they played young, uh, even though not all their young players played badly. A lot of mistakes were made by older players, um, guys like Joe Flacco, uh, Corey Davis dropping a pass, Tyler Conklin fumbling away a first down, dropping a pass, Lincoln Tomlinson, their big free agent addition on the offensive line, had a bad game, eight pressures. George Fant, a bunch of pressures, gave up a sack. LaMarcus Joyner, a bad penalty and a coverage snafu. Uh, Zerline misses two kicks. Mann with a, with a ridiculously short punt. Rough day for special teams. So it was the kind of performance that you almost expect from last year's team, you know, starting fresh with a new regime and so many new players. But you didn't expect it to be that bad on Sunday. I thought the Ravens were vulnerable. You know, I thought the Jets would lose, but I thought it would be a much more competitive game. The Jets were out of this game by the end of the third quarter, and that's the disconcerting thing because this is a repeated pattern from what's happened under Robert Sala. And, you know, we can pick apart the fumbles and the the drop passes, and, and Flacco was like a statue in the pocket which is not a good thing when your offensive line has given up 19 pressures in the game. So Joe Flacco throwing 59 passes is just, is just a, you're asking for disaster. Uh, it's amazing he only had one turnover in the game, 
but one play really jumped out at me, and I think it was one of the critical offensive plays of the game. You know, the Jets are only down 10-3 to start the third quarter. First and 10, they have the ball for the first time, and they take a sack. And really, I have no problem with them throwing on first down there. There's nothing wrong with being aggressive. But how this hack sack happened, and I went back, I broke down the tape. The Jets had a max protect. They had eight guys blocking. It was only a five-man rush. Eight versus five. The odds are in your favor that you're going to actually block this up pretty well. And the funny thing is, the three guys who got the most pressure on the play were all double teamed. There was Justin Metabique. The Jets had him blocked with Tomlinson and Fant. There was Patrick Queen, a blitzing linebacker. They had Mitchell on him, and then Mitchell chipped him, and then uh, Michael Carter picked him up. And then they had Stephen Means. He was blocked by... um, Actually, Tyler Conklin and Corey Davis, three rushers, six guys on those three guys, and they all got pressure. Flacco gets sacked. And really, from that point on, it was they go three and out. Man gets the 20 yard punt. The Ravens score and the game's pretty much over. And so, you know, guys got to just make their blocks. That's not a coaching thing. That's just, you know, football. Make a block. The one thing I will criticize the coaching on that play was they only had two two guys in pass routes. They had Elijah Moore and Berrios. They were both on vertical routes. Flacco had no quick safety valve to get the ball to, so he basically had to eat it. Again, I said it was a max protect play. They didn't protect at all. That's the one play that stood out to me as just a, you know, almost a comedy of errors. And the Jets went downhill from there. So that's what's happened on the field. That's what we saw on the field. Now, what they what we heard after the game, I think, has created a narrative around the team about, you know, moral victories and, you know, how it's okay. That's not what I heard. Uh, The press conference with Robert Sala started, as always, Marty Lyon of ESPN Radio asks the first question. He always has the first question. And he asked Sala, what were some of the positives you took out of the game? So he just answered the question with some positives, and then he transitioned to some of the negatives. I didn't see that or hear that as him saying it was a moral victory. Now, trust me on this. I've covered this for a long time. I've done this for 33 years. I know what I'm talking about when I go into a locker room. The players, were they spewing back some positives? Absolutely. Where do they get that from? They get it from the coach. The coach talks to the players after the game. The players parrot what he says back to the media. That's how the message works. The messaging works that way. Coach to players to media. Robert Sala is a positive guy. He's very upbeat. He's not going to rip them to shreds after the game. He's going to leave them with positives. The players repeated to the media. And then all of a sudden it comes across as the Jets are happy with the defeat they're not happy with the defeat. I mean, that's just Salah's coaching style. Now, you may not like it because he's always a half-full kind of guy. He's upbeat, optimistic. That's just his coaching style. I don't think he's going to change. In fact, if he does change, it probably wouldn't be a good thing because it wouldn't be genuine. You have to be who you are. And if he did change and suddenly started punching his fist through the wall and screaming, The players pick up on that immediately, and they know the guy's panicking. So 
That's what I heard after the game. I didn't hear moral victory talk. I heard players repeating what their coach told them, that there were some positives in the game. And there's were and they're right. There were some positives. The defense played well. The front seven played really well. The corners played well. Safeties, not so much. That was that was a rough go for Joyner and Whitehead. But uh, the off, you know, the offense was a disaster. They clearly have to improve on it, but they did move the ball. It wasn't like this was 150 yards of offense. They did have in the, I think it was 370. So there were some things they can grasp onto. And at this point, you have to do that because it's only one game down. There's 16 to go. There's a lot of season left. A lot of things could happen. Now, I know a lot of folks are are focusing in on the quarterback situation. Flacco did not play well. His mobility just is glaring. Lack of mobility is glaring, obviously. People screaming for Mike White. My answer to that would be relax. It's not Mike White time. I don't think they should start Mike White this week. Robert Sala indicated that more than likely it's going to be Joe Flacco. It should be Joe Flacco. He didn't play great, but if you pull him after one game, it's basically a panic move, in my opinion. The fans, relax. Mike White is not the answer. He had a phenomenal game last year against Cincinnati. We get it. He was really good in that game. The other complete game he had, he was a disaster. He had four interceptions against the Bills and got benched for Joe Flacco, who at the time was basically pulled out of mothballs. That tells you what the coaching staff thinks of Mike White. They respect him, but they see him as a good third-string quarterback, maybe a good backup. I don't think he's going to solve their problems. It's not a Flacco issue. It's an everything issue on offense right now, and they have to get that cleaned up. Uh, However... From listening to Robert Sala on Monday, and I was asking some of these questions in his press conference, even though Flacco is expected to start on Sunday, I got the distinct impression that his leash is not as long as it used to be. So if Flacco goes out in Cleveland, lays an egg, and this offense has no spark, then I could see Mike White coming in at halftime. I think that was Robert Sala's message by hedging just a little bit on Monday, saying it's under review, it's more than likely going to be Joe, but we have to review everything. To me, that's Salah saying, uh, sending a message to Joe Flacco saying, it's got to get better, Joe. And if it doesn't, you know, guarantee to stay in the lineup until Zach Wilson comes back. And by the way, I, it's starting to look like Zach Wilson's going to miss four games now. Originally, they said three. He is not even practicing yet. He's going to do some light work this week, basically throwing on air on to some receivers. No defense, not even in practice, off to the side. So that tells me he's probably a couple of weeks away. So the Jets, I suspect, expect to go with Flacco against Cleveland this week. Um, I think that's the right call. However, I think it's going to be a short leash. You could see Mike White if things go awry at halftime. And like I said about Sunday, try to forget it. I know you're angry because you build up for this moment and your team just lays an egg. I totally get it. Take a breath. It's only one game. Dismiss the talk from the locker room. I There was no moral victory talk. It was just players trying to be positive They don't want to throw in the towel after one game. Now, if all this persists for the next week or two, then yeah, then it might be time to push the panic button. Right back after this.
He was a sixth round pick by the Jets in 2014, 209 overall to be exact. He got cut, spent a little time on the practice squad, but role, uh, rose to the role of a starting position. His highlight year was in 2016. He had 857 receiving yards. Unfortunately, his career was cut short because of a neck injury, but I think Jet fans are always going to remember him as a big, tough, wide receiver who liked to run over defensive backs. At least that's the way I will remember him. Now he's doing a he's a pre- and post-game analyst for the Jets website. He is, of course, Quincy Anunwa. Quincy, thank you so much for spending some time with Flight Deck. Yeah, no, no problem. I appreciate the, uh, the great introduction. <laughs> no, no problem. You deserve it all. And you're also doing, you're an assistant football coach at Irvington High School out in Jersey, so you got your hands full these days. But I want to put your analyst hat on right away. You know, you're you're in the world of the media, so we're going to put you on the spot here. You know, Sunday's game, obviously a disappointment for the Jets. What was your takeaway on the game? Mostly offensively, because obviously that's your area of expertise. Right. Yeah, I would say, to be honest, uh, I'll speak for the whole. Um, it really, you know, big picture, there was a few uh, mistakes here and there, but it didn't look you know, after rewatching, it didn't look as bad as it felt in the moment, right? I think um, on offense, you know, there were a few times where, you know, a couple fumbles, right? There was one time where Conklin fumbled. It was a third down. If he would have got that, they would have, they could have possibly got seven, uh, seven points out of that. You know, Breeze fumbles in their red zone. So you think about those two situations there, you know, they definitely, they definitely could have gotten more out of it. Then on the defensive side, you know, they were flying around, right? Like, there were so many plays being made that the Ravens never really had long sustained drives. Like the touchdowns were one was a one was a touchdown in the end zone, which was a great catch, you know. Then the other two were busts on defense, but they were long passes. So to be honest with you, I think, you know, it's easy to look at this game and say, oh man, you know, same old Jess. But I think like there was a lot of fixable mistakes. So you've been in that position before as a player, being 0-1. What's the mood in the locker room the next day? Well, Monday when you're gathering for a team meeting, you know, uh, what do you think the mood was? I, honestly, I, I feel like, you know, if they are moving in the direction they're supposedly moving in, it's just one loss, right? Like, this is the first week. It's easy to, uh, from the outside looking in, to look at that and say, oh, man, like, we're doomed for the rest of the season. But inside the building, you really have to kind of have a one-week, week-by-week mentality. you got to be where your feet are. Um, and so I know uh, Coach Child is probably telling those guys that, right? Because otherwise, yeah, the alternative is, you know, you look at that one loss against not even a divisional opponent, and now you're thinking, like, what else? What what's what's the outcome for the rest of the season? So you really have to just stay present. Absolutely. And I don't know if you're aware of this. Robert Sala made some news on Monday. He, you know, he had a pretty strong quote. He came out and said, you know, he's refer he says, you know, we're going to get this thing turned around and I'm taking receipts on the people who have mocked the Jets and criticized him. And he's going to be very happy to uh, show those receipts when they turn this thing around. How does a player feel when his coach comes out and makes a statement like that? Yeah, I think um, uh I think if I'm in the building, I think that uh, I'm happy that my coach is, uh, you know, kind of rooting for us and making sure that people know that, like, you know, he believes that we can do a lot of great things. You know, I think from the outside, though, uh, it's it's kind of funny, right, because you know that this is just what happens uh, with the media. Um, you know, there's going to be people that are going to be naysayers. And ultimately, you know, I think, uh, you know, the, the fans, the media, everybody wants this kind of mentality because if he does do it, then that's only going to be more positive for the team. Yeah, it, it was a pretty bold statement for him. I was a, I was a little surprised that he made it. Uh, right. I think fans, just from 
checking social media, I think the fans was mostly a negative reaction to it because they see the coaches, you know, trying to pick a fight with the media and so forth. And I know you see it from the inside, but now that you're in the media, can you also see it from that perspective as well? Yeah, I can, I can see that. I can definitely see that. Um, you know, and I think, like I said before, you know, I, it's something that you kind of have to expect. Um, so I'm sure that the comments being made, uh, it can definitely rub people wrong, right? Because you assume that the coach knows that there's going to be negative comments. Um, so I think he was doing it more so for the players just to kind of let them know that, you know, I got you guys and I want you guys to know that, you know, we're going to pull this around. Right. Good point. One of the topics to come out of the game was, you know, obviously Zach Wilson's been injured. He's going to be injured for a couple of more weeks, you know, and, and Joe Flacco played, you know, put up some good stats, but obviously the offense didn't get in the end zone. He threw 59 times. First of all, what's your takeaway on that? 59 pass attempts for your backup quarterback. And there's a lot of fans screaming for Mike White now. What's uh, Quincy Anunwa's take on the whole quarterback situation? Yeah, it was tough. I wish, you know, one thing that I, I still want to do, like I've watched the game multiple times, but I just haven't watched it like the All-22. Uh, NFL Plus is kind of uh, slacking in there. Uh, they are. They are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I haven't had an opportunity to really see what else uh, I need to view to, to kind of get an accurate picture on how he did. Um, but just watching just the film by itself, you know, it seemed like one, uh, like three things, right? And I'm saying seem because I don't know exactly everything, but it seemed like maybe guys weren't getting open. It seemed like he was holding the ball too long. You know, there was a, a few different things going on that it's hard to really get an accurate picture without seeing the whole 22. So, I, you know, I think that, you know, they're going to go back into the film room. They're going to go back into the lab and kind of figure out what's the best thing. But I don't think that they should make a, a, a rash decision just yet, just based off of just the limited information I have. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I think you should stick with Flacco. Although I, I, he kind of opened the door a little bit yesterday to Robert Sala on Monday. He said, you know, it's under review. But I guess that might be just a message to the team letting everybody know that, you know, when you lose like that, everything's under review. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and you want you want guys to kind of feel like uh, you can, nothing's cemented, that you got to keep working, I'm sure. Absolutely. Now I want to go right into your wheelhouse here and talk about the wide receivers. The Jets have some really talented wide receivers. Definitely. Garrett Wilson, I know you were out at training camp this summer for a few days. You saw some Garrett Wilson. You saw a little bit of it on Sunday with that that one catch he made. He almost made a first down out of nothing. Uh, what's your, you know, if you could evaluate Garrett Wilson, what would you say? Yeah, I mean, he's a talented guy. You could kind of see from the beginning, it seemed like they were, it felt, it felt like they were a little hesitant to get him in. Maybe uh, didn't want to put too much on him. You know, they went with a three tight end set a few times in the beginning. Then I think once he made that catch and made a few plays, then they started to really get him the ball. You know, I think uh, third quarter, second, third quarter, they're kind of giving him the ball a few more times on different routes that he wasn't getting in the first half. So uh, I think that he kind of showed them that he's ready. And I think we all believe that he's ready. So it's exciting, man. He's, he's able to do a lot of different things. You know, he's able to catch the ball in all different angles. He's able to, you know, do things with the ball in his hand. So he's an exciting player. And, 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 you know, you mix him in with Elijah Moore, you mix him with Corey Davis, Braxton Berrios, you know, like that's a great core. Yeah, that's a pretty good receiving core. I, I think it's the best receiving core they've had since it was you, Brandon, and uh, and Eric Decker. I mean, that was right. a, a great core in, uh, you know, 15, 16. I mean, that was, yeah. And let's be honest, like even, even during that time, like it was really Brandon and – Decker for a good part. Then Decker got hurt that next year, and then it was me and Brandon. So we never really got to see all three of us firing at all cylinders, you know? 
Yeah. And you know what? I want to ask you about another receiver question. We've written so much this summer about Denzel Mims. I think every fan knows the situation. He's not playing. He was a healthy scratch on Sunday. Uh, what do you think of Denzel as a player and, and what might be going through his mind right now? Yeah, I think um, just from watching, you know, what I've seen, I think he's a talented guy. You know, you saw that last preseason game, the plays that he was able to make. Um, you know, it's, I'm sure he's in a tough position, right? Like, I think any young guy that comes in, first off, there's a learning curve that he kind of had to adjust to. And his learning curve happened and then he got injured. I mean, then he had the sickness, you know, so he's just had a lot of things that kind of set him back on top of the fact that he was playing with a young quarterback. So I always say that playing with a young quarterback, there's a challenge there because he's learning not only the offense, but then NFL defenses. So now you're also in that same position trying to learn the offense and NFL defenses. So there's just like, it's just a little bit more challenging where you have like an older quarterback that knows NFL defenses. Even if he doesn't know the offense, he has that part down. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's definitely like, it's challenging for him. So he doesn't get an opportunity to really go out there and show exactly who he can be, which was, which is why it was cool to see him do that in his last preseason game because he was able to just play a lot more loose and a lot free, a lot more freer. So I think the Jets know that they have him in their back pocket if they, you know, they need him because they already have a great core. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think that there's anything that they need to do with him other than just keep bringing him up to speed and making sure that, you know, he, he maintains that confidence that he got from that last game. So you wouldn't trade him if you were the Jets. I mean, you, you'd keep him just as insurance. I mean, listen, if he's not disgruntled in the in the locker room, if he's, you know, if he's still working hard, um, that's an asset, right? I think um, ultimately, you know, it's hard to break through when you have such a core that that they have right now of talented guys. Um, but, you know, for me, I think as a receiver, I want to keep that guy in my room. You know, I think that he's a talented guy. Now, the business side of it, I can't, you know, I can't speak from that. You know, I'm sure there's a bunch of different things that they would like to do. Now, Quincy, just want to talk about your career a little bit. Very interesting career. You played for three different head coaches. Um, you know, you had you came in when Rex was the uh, coach, and then of course Todd Bowles, and then Adam Gase a little bit at the end. Uh, what was it like playing for those three guys? Did you have a favorite to play for? Yeah. So my favorite, I always say, is Coach Bowles. He believed in me a lot, man. He, he gave me so many opportunities. Uh, you know, but all three of them, they all had their their their, their things that they did really well. Uh, you know, I think it's it's well known that, you know, I had I had an issue when Gates was the coach. But oh, but overall, I really appreciated who he was as a person. Like there were a lot of times where me and the receiver coach butt heads and he would always come to me and be like, hey, you know, do this, do this. Like he would always pull me to the side and, and say some things that would help me kind of get back in the right headspace. And the one thing I always say about Rex was my the, his last game was my first game playing because um, they brought me up for that last game since I was on practice squad. And he told me, he said, this is where your story begins. Like we were going through the stretch lines and that's the last thing he told me. And that was, you know, I'll never forget that, you know. Uh, uh, I will say though that he was kind of the fuel uh, to kind of spark me to start playing well uh, when we played him against the, when he was with the Bills. Um, you know, just knowing that he was on the other side, I really wanted to prove him right. So uh, anytime that we played them, it was always like extra fuel for me. Well, I remember you had that monster game up in Buffalo. Uh, it, was, it was the night game, right? It was yeah. that night game, and uh, that was – I mean, you were just, like, catching everything that night, like contested oh, yeah. catches, everything. Yeah. <laughs> that that was big. Um, yeah, it was an a different mix of coaches. Since you mentioned it, I'll ask you, that whole Adam Gase thing, you were actually injured at the time, right? And right. then you got fined a, a fairly significant amount of money. I think it was right. thirty. 30 something thousand. Couldn't you read it on a, a, a 
like a screen, a TV's monitor in the building. Uh, and you you were very vocal about that on social media. How did that end? Like, how was it resolved? Yeah, it was, it was a challenging moment for me. It was a challenging time for me. I, you know, I was going through the injury. I had my appendix taken out too. So like there was a lot of emotions swirling for me. My career was possibly over. Um, so for, for me, it was one of those moments where it was just a lack of communication, you know, on both sides. I think that, you know, we all could have done a better job. But in the end, uh, I'll say that it ended with um, me, uh, what does he call it? What do you call it? Um, appealing the fine and then getting the money back because there was there was a lack of communication. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, it was just tough. You know, it was tough overall. And, you know, I appreciate the communication that me and Joe Douglas were able to have, which is why, you know, I'm in the building now and, and you know, we, we are able to have, you know, great communication. Well, that's good. Uh, one player I want to ask you about, a former teammate of yours, actually two former teammates, um, the guy who was drafted right after you at number 210 was IKN Mpali, who, of course, is going to be remembered for the uh, locker room incident with Geno Smith breaking his jaw. And then on Monday night, we go see Geno Smith beat the Denver Broncos, you know, being the starting quarterback for Seattle, which is just such a great turnaround story for him. Um one, what do you remember about that infamous day in 2015? And two, what was it like to see Geno rise rise above all that and and become an NFL starting quarterback? Yeah. Well, I, you know, as far as the IK situation, I wasn't in the locker room, so I, I don't love to talk too much about it just because, you know, I wasn't there at the time. Uh, I was actually handling something else. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it was a crazy situation, man. You know, it was an unfortunate one. But as far as Geno now, man, I'm so happy for him, man. Like, you know, I always knew he had the physical talents. Um, you know, that was never a question. I think, you know, he's definitely had time to mature and 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 make and make the 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 necessary changes to perform well on the field, right? So, you know, he's got a lot of uh, great mentors over the over the years from different uh, quarterbacks that he's played with. Um, so, you know, you just hope to see that continue on throughout the season, you know, and 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 I'm sure that uh, Pete Carroll will make sure that that happens for him. What's your fondest memory as a Jet player? Oh, man, that's tough. You know, it's, it was it was it was uh, a great career, or or it was a great you know yeah career there like, in terms of just memories and moments that I couldn't really put my finger on one specific situation. You know, I think just the just the growth that I had, I think, would be the most memorable thing. Just you know, seeing where I was from day one to, you know, where I was at the end of the career um, and just the person I was, the player I became, you know, the knowledge that I gained, the different players that I got to play with. I mean, I had a locker room. I had a locker right next to this at one point, you know, so that was pretty cool. I played with Brandon Marshall and the year before that, I was playing him as a, as a scout team player for the defense. Like, it was so crazy to see that, you know. We played him the year before, then the next year he was my teammate. So it was just so many memories, man. You know, there's nothing There's nothing I could really just, like, pinpoint on. The one thing, I mean, unfortunately, your last game was in 2019. In the opener, you got hurt. You hurt your neck again. And uh, it was so crushing. I mean, what was that like for you? I think you were 27 or 28 at the time, if I'm not mistaken. And did you know right away that that, that was probably going to be it for you? or And how were you able to, uh, you know, wrap your mind around that, that, you know, your football career was going to be over? Yeah, I knew I knew immediately um, The it, when it happened, um, I kind of wrote a little Instagram post about this, but immediately I had a uh, 
numbness tingling down my arm. Uh, my, my legs went numb, so I couldn't stand for a moment. Um, and then I was like, well, I knew this was my last game, so I tried to just, you know, run out there and try to finish the game. Uh, and my stat line was like one catch for minus four yards, so I should have just sat down. Mm-hmm. But it was it was definitely like I got home and I told my wife, I told my parents, because my parents flew out for that game, like, yeah, this is it for me, you know. Um, I think that I was uh, partially at peace uh, because – um, of everything that I had accomplished at that time, but, you know, it didn't make it any easier. It was still definitely very challenging. You know, that was something that I've been doing for so long. I've been playing football for most of my life. So, you know, for it to end in a way that was so unexpected uh, in the first game of the season, you know, uh, especially coming off of a contract, you know, I really wanted to prove the Jets right, all those different things. Mm-hmm. So definitely one of those things that, you know, it was hard to kind of uh, rest with. Yeah, in a situation like that, you have to weigh more than football because, you know, that's a serious injury. You have to weigh you're, – you're a young man. You're 27, 28 years old. You have a whole life ahead of you. So I guess that's where real-life priorities come into place. You know, you know, you, you start a family, young man, you know, married, so you have a whole life ahead of you. Right, exactly. You know, you got to kind of weigh out, weigh out all the different things that are going on. You know, and it was challenging. I think the biggest thing was that – uh, I just couldn't get another surgery. So when the doctor told me that, like there really was no other option for me. Yeah. Well, you know, Quincy, the one play you made a play, I think it was at the act Jacksonville. Uh, I mean, I correct me if I'm wrong. You had like a long run <laughs> where you just like ran over, you trucked a couple of defensive backs and made a really y- long run after catch. Uh, do you remember that particular play? Was it against Jacksonville? Is my mem- memory? Yeah. Yeah, it was Jacksonville. It was one against Miami that same year, but yeah, it was Jacksonville. I think I had two. It was that was that was a fun game. Now Isaac was there, so that was a little more uh, another fuel game. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. The, the man who drafted you was with Jacksonville at the time, and uh, yeah, you were good in those fuel games. You know, Isaac, Rex Ryan. You had yeah. you had some really monster games. But uh, and and how are you enjoying the transition into into the media world? Um, you know, being an analyst. You know, getting a chance to share some of your insights and knowledge. How's that been going for you? Uh, It's been good. It's been a learning process, you know, just trying to figure out what's the best way to do it. You know, ultimately I want to be myself, but, uh, you know, I think that uh, it's been fun. You know, I, I think the thing I love the most is just getting an opportunity to just be in the game still, you know, Um, when it gets taken from you, you know, you try to grasp for any way to kind of get back to it. So, you know, to be able to, for this to have fallen in my lap, um, and be given an opportunity to continue talking football around a team that drafted me and I played for, you know, it's, it's definitely a blessing. Well, that's, that's great. We, of course, we wish you the best of luck. I see very bright things in your future in the media world. Uh, I always thought you were very thoughtful, um, good perspective in the locker room. We, we enjoyed talking to you as reporters in front of your locker. You were always there, win or lose, you were always there. And that's something we always respected. No, I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, Quincy, best of luck to you. Thank you so much for taking time. It was great seeing you again, and uh, we'll see you down the road. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, it's Twitter time, and we had a record this week. We had over 200 questions on Twitter. Usually the number is directly proportional to the angst of the fan base, and this is an angry fan base after Sunday's loss to the Ravens. 
Uh, we're going to get through these questions. I want to try to get to as many as I can. So it might be kind of short answer in some of these, but here we go. At Mr. Max G, was the offensive line that bad or how much goes into the off on the offensive game plan? He says they feel like they had a bad plan and didn't adjust. Don't remember seeing a screen or a bubble route, barely any play action. Looks like they were running a vanilla offense from the preseason. As a matter of fact, Joe Flacco was 10 for 11 on play action passes for 107 yards. And they did try a few screen passes. He was actually two for four for nine yards on screen passes. I thought there was one series in the second quarter where they tried uh, some clever screen passes, some uh, some bubbles and a couple, I think one to Barrios, where things actually looked okay, and it seemed like they found a rhythm, but then it went away pretty quickly. Uh, the next question comes from uh, at Dan Box. He says, how long will it take Garrett Wilson to get more meaningful playing time? J uh, Jamar Chase set rookie records last year. Obviously, Garrett Wilson isn't Chase, but you can see the potential. Corey Davis is out there dropping passes anyway. Uh, so, yeah, so interestingly, uh, I agree with the uh, question here. Garrett Wilson only played six snaps in the first half. And then, of course, in the second half, they were throwing so much that he got a lot of a lot more reps. I think you can see the talent. I think uh, I think they got to find a way to get Garrett Wilson on the field more often. Next one from at James SD1. Rich, we love the team, but since 2016, the Jets have a winning percentage of 27%. We deserve better. Having owners who think of the team as some rich kid's hobby ain't good enough in this era of 365 a year on pro football. You know, that's a really good point. You know, you, you can't, well, you can be a hobby owner if you have great people under you. And uh, look, I know this about Woody Johnson, and he doesn't even talk to the media that much, but uh, so... He does care about the team. He cares about the team a lot. In fact, when he watches the games from his private box, he is like almost unapproachable. He was so into the game. He gets fired up. Uh, you know, he is he is into it. Uh, is he a great owner? I'm a believer in you are what your record says you are. He does pour a lot of money into it. He's not cheap. They have the fourth highest cash payroll in the league this year. You can't say he'd pinch his pennies. The owner's job is to surround himself with good people. I think, oh, if you look at Woody's 20 years of ownership, actually 22 now, he's done a poor job of surrounding himself with good football people, and that's why I think you have the situation that has uh, evolved over the years. The next one from at TNJetDJ. Uh, what, would, what would be the tipping point? Actually, this is at agent underscore maniac. What would be the tipping point for a Jimmy G trade? Uh, they're not trading for Jimmy Garoppolo because Zach Wilson's going to come back in a, in a couple of weeks. And so, I mean, if Zach Wilson were to suffer a season-ending injury, then, then maybe they could look at Jimmy G. But that's not on their radar. At TNJetDJ, the question is, are we ever going to question Braden Mann's spot on the roster? It seems like he's had at least one bad punt per game interesting thought you know they used a draft pick on man in 2020 since 2020 the jets rank 22nd in gross punting average and 27th in net punting average that is not good 
I wonder when Braden Mann's scholarship is over. I mean, he's basically been handed this job for three years. Um, why not bring in some competition? You know, he's off to another shaky start. Of course, the 20-yard punt on Sunday. I agree with you. He should be doing better. Next one from at Bull Bets. Rich, am I wrong to be encouraged by this game? Can't really evaluate the offense without Wilson, but the defense is leaps and bounds better than last year, faster, more physical, and held the Ravens in check besides the Bateman TD, uh, even with multiple short fields. Uh, Bull Bets, don't feel bad about being a little bit encouraged. Like I said earlier, there were some positives. They held the Ravens to 60-something yards rushing. This was the number one rushing team in the league last year. Um, Lamar Jackson did really nothing running the football, and I think some of that had to do with some hesitancy on his part. He seemed a little tentative, uh, maybe because he didn't play in the preseason, but they did do a good job in the running game. Front seven was fast. I thought the linebackers, the second level of the defense, was faster than last year. I think Quan Alexander brought some of that that nasty, some of that energy to the linebacking core. Now, they did play a 4-3 base most of the game. When they play other teams, they're probably going to be in nickel. So I'm curious to see if Quan Alexander comes off the field in those nickel situations. But I agree. I mean, they gave up three explosive plays, and that was really the difference. Uh, next one at Dome Dog. I at uh, uh, let's see. The question was at Dome Dog three eleven. You know, I'm from Syracuse. I gotta answer a question from Dome Dog. I can't. I had a lot of Dome Dogs in my day back in the Carrier Dome. Um, Rich, most of the big uh, money and free agent signings don't work out. There's a reason why teams let these guys walk as free agents. Tomlinson's performance is he dropping off a cliff? He allowed eight pressures. According to PFF, his grade was 38. Yikes. Uh, Dome Dog, don't put too much into PFF grades. And I've said this before, it's completely subjective. They don't know what the assignment is. You can't, I mean, they could give you some objective material, like pressure, even pressures is subjective. Um, PFF is good for that type of stuff, but an actual grade I wouldn't put too much stock in that grade of 38, but he did not have a good game. The fact of the matter is Tomlinson did not have a good game. There was one play where he was bull rushed right into Joe Flacco's lap. So Lakin Tomlinson has to get better. I don't think he's falling off a cliff. It was only one game. Next one from at YB Sports 3, focusing on CJ Uzama. Will he be used in the offense more in the coming weeks? You know, can we expect more of a 50-50 split with him and Conklin? He could be a big-bodied security blanket when the heavy blitzes come. Uh, interesting point. Uzama only played 23 snaps, whereas Conklin played pretty much every snap in the game. Uh, you know, that was weird. I thought they would use the tight ends more in this game. Uzama was not even targeted. I think you got to use him more, especially as a blocker, just to provide some more uh, protection for for Joe Flacco at Lizzo underscore Frank. I have a question, Rich. It's not about the game at all, but uh, why doesn't Zach Wilson stay on the sideline? What does watching from the box do for him? Why can't he be on the field going over calls, talking to Flacco, etc.? He's not a 10 year vet. He should be on the field. Well, I can tell you this, Frank. Uh, typically, it's a safety issue. Coaches don't want injured players on the sideline because they cannot move out of the way quick enough. I mean, if there's a player running off the field out of bounds, 
Is Zach Wilson standing there, he really is not going to be able to move away. Now, I know you're going to say, well, he could sit on the bench, but I've had coaches tell me they don't want injured players on the sideline for psychological reasons. One, they don't want the, the healthy players who are active and in the game to be around injured players during the game. Bill Parcells didn't even take injured players on road trips. He did not want them around his team because it reminded his players, the healthy ones, of who was not playing. It gave him almost like a mental crutch. I think that all goes into it. If you're injured, you're not on the sidelines, no matter how important, uh, important a guy you are you're usually going to be up in the booth, and I actually concur with that. And our last question comes from Matt Steven. Uh, Steve Simon says, does Michael LaFleur know how to change a game plan? Is his seat warm? No, his seat is not warm, Steve. He actually changed this game plan this week. Not that you could tell by the performance, but they came out in 13 personnel. They wanted to attack the Ravens with three tight ends, Obviously, it did not work after a quarter. They basically scrapped that game plan on the fly, and they went to more 11 personnel. That's why you saw players like Garrett Wilson getting more uh, snaps in the second half. So they went from a tight end heavy plan to a wide receiver heavy plan. Neither of them worked, obviously, but I think it showed that LaFleur was able to adjust on the fly. I think one criticism of LaFleur in this game was that he may got a little bit pass happy even before the game got out of control. I think they were running the ball reasonably well in the first half, and I thought they were still a little pass happy, and they, of course, go uh, pass, pass, pass to start the second half, go three and out, and the game really turned right there. So maybe a quibble there with Mike LaFleur. Should have stuck with the run game more often. I bet you he does this week in Cleveland, which leads me into this week's opponent. Jets going to Cleveland. It's Cleveland's home opener. That crowd is going to be fired up. The Browns are 1-0 after beating Carolina. It's been years since they were 1-0. You've got a, a really good team here. They have three players who are among the best at their position. Uh, Nick Chubb, 141 yards rushing last week. Miles Garrett really needs no introduction. He had two sacks. Uh, this is going to be a long week for Max Mitchell. He'll probably be seeing Miles Garrett in his dreams. And, of course, Denzel Ward, their corner, is outstanding. Three really, really good impact players. However, I think the Jets can win this game. Jacoby Brissett is not a good quarterback. We all know the story there. Deshaun Watson suspended. Brissett is signing, is, is starting. He was awful last week against Carolina. I, I think his passing total was basically about the same as Nick Chubb's rushing total. So shame on the Jets if they let Jacoby Brissett beat them. I think the Jets are going to rally here. I, I must be just in a positive mood this week because I'm actually going <clears> to <throat> pick the Jets to win this game. 20 to 19 on the road. They have only one road win under Robert Sala, and that was that ugly win last year in Houston when Zach Wilson came back from his knee injury. Uh, but I think they can beat Cleveland. It's just going to take a really physical effort in the trenches on both sides of the ball. Their run defense looked good against Baltimore. Can they do it against Nick Chubb and a good offensive line? That's going to be a big question. And I think they can overplay the run. And because I don't think they're going to be able to, they won't let Jacoby Brissett beat them with throwing the ball. So I like the Jets this week. 
Call me crazy. I think they're going to respond to Robert Sala, who evidently is taking receipts for people who are criticizing the Jets and mocking the Jets. So I, I don't want to end up in one of those receipts. So I'm, I'm picking the Jets this week, 2019. And we'll see if they can even their record, get home and face Cincinnati with a one-and-run record. And suddenly then the season would have a different perspective. So we'll see how it turns out. I haven't picked the Jets that often. Maybe they'll hit this week. We'll see how it goes. I want to thank our guest, Quincy Anunwa. Really, really appreciate Quincy stopping by. Of course, thanks to our producer, Jeff Scopin, for putting this all together. Thank you for all the Twitter questions, and I apologize for those the many questions I was not able to get to. Hopefully, we'll see how it goes next week. I'll try to get to more, but we will talk to you next week on Flight Deck. Flight Deck.